as the great John Rothstein always says, this is March. The madness is only going to intensify. Conference tournaments get started this week. But in the Big East, this is the final week of the regular season before we officially begin the March to MSG. And a lot of storylines are coming up throughout the week. But the biggest storyline of all, Seton Hall with a chance to clinch their first outright Big East regular season title since 1993. They clinched a share of it on Sunday when the Creighton Blue Jays were upset by St. John's. An upset called by yours truly, but I'm not bragging here. Coupled with Villanova's loss at home on Saturday to Providence. And also Seton Hall winning at Marquette. So Seton Hall in Miles Powell's final home game at the Prudential Center. He could have his curtain call end with a Big East regular season title. And winning it outright in front of hopefully a completely sold out Prudential Center crowd. Welcome inside the Igloo. I'm Tim Best. We're officially into March. Pretty good slate of games over the weekend with a lot of excitement. And in a couple games, not a lot of offense. But in a couple games, there were a lot of offense. Or I should say there was a lot of offense, so I can sound grammatically correct. Not have my 10th grade English teacher coming down my throat for that. Don't hate me for that, Miss Pazdek. Please don't. <laughs> Anyways, in two games, quite a bit of offense. A lot of three-pointers made, a lot of points being put up on the board. So where do we begin? Let's begin in the city of brotherly love, shall we? 12th-ranked Villanova hosting Providence. Both teams red hot. The Wildcats winners of five straight. Providence winners of three straight going into this one. Something's got to give. Well, Villanova gave in. As a matter of fact, their offense was what gave in. Their offense had been kind of struggling over the past couple games leading up to this one. As they had only put up 64 at Xavier back on February 22nd. And then in their last game before Saturday when they played St. John's on Wednesday... They only scored 71 points. The defense was able to win that game for Nova. But again, 71 points against St. John's. Not that great. Meanwhile, Providence, their offense wasn't too good either. But man, was their defense tremendous in this ballgame. They held Villanova to just 18 first half points. Only scored 30 themselves, but that... 12-point halftime cushion proved to be very important. Proved to be very important because Villanova just was not able to get on a hot streak, get their offense going, establish a rhythm. They found it early in the first half, but Providence quickly put that to bed. As the, trailing 15-14, to 14, they then ended the half on a 16-3 run to go up 12 at the break. 
And then Providence doing enough to hold on to win this one at the Wells Fargo Center. They win this one by the final of 58-54. to That secures another 10-win season in Biggie's play for Providence, which they've now done every year since realignment, except for last season. Last year, they went 7-11 in league play. And on Saturday, that was their 10th winning conference, giving them 17 on the season. And with that resume in conference, that could be enough to get them on the right side of the bubble, even if they don't win the Big East tournament, if they continue to succeed, Providence is going to be in the NCAA tournament and be the seventh team representing the Big East in the tournament as only three of them are absolutely out by this point. Barring that either one of them somehow wins the conference tournament and steals that automatic bid. The star for Providence... No no question in this one, Lawan Pipkins, senior grad transfer from UMass, was simply phenomenal. 27 points a game high, 7 of 13 shooting, 4 of 8 from downtown, 9 of 10 from the charity stripe. Only one other Friar was in double figures, and that was another senior, Malik White. 15 points, 4 of 8 shooting, knocked down a 3-pointer as well on 2 attempts. I mean, this just was not a sexy ball game at all. Providence just 35% from the field. Same with Villanova. Providence had 35.4%, Villanova 35.1%. The difference maker, though, Providence was 5 of 13 from deep. Villanova, yes, they had 5 3-pointers made, but they also took 30 3-point attempts. So basically, they only made one out of every six. Sadiq Bay was one for seven. Jeremiah Robinson Earl went two for three. Justin Moore was one for eight. Samuels 0 for three. Gillespie one for three. And then Slater and Swider off the bench combined to go 0 for six. And, you know, I credit Villanova, specifically Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I mean, he, he played a solid game. Another double-double for the freshman. 10 points, 11 rebounds. Shot pretty well from the field, but he did foul out. As did Sadiq Bey, who had only 11 points, 3 rebounds, 4 of 10 shooting. But again, Providence, with their defense, they stymie and stifle Villanova enough to steal one in Philly. 58-54, to your final so, in terms of the dominoes to set up Seton Hall clinching the Big East outright regular season title and clinching the number one seed on their, on their home court on senior night on Wednesday, that was part one of that process of getting to that scenario. Part two was them playing their game following the conclusion of Providence and Villanova. Marquette's senior day, Marcus Howard's final home game, and the perhaps the final battle ever between Miles Powell and Marcus Howard. I said that both of these guys need to go for a round 30, but 
the fact was, to me, in order for it to be that blockbuster that everyone wanted to see, these two guys need to combine, combine for at least 60. Considering, you know, we had 50 combined points in the previous meeting. Like, let's up the ante. Let's see 60. We got 60, all right. And Marcus Howard was absolutely phenomenal. 37 points, 12 of 20 shooting, 6 of 9 from distance. He also dished out 4 assists, a team high. However, he just didn't get enough support. Kind of a recurring theme with this Marquette team. Meanwhile, for Seton Hall, Miles Powell, a guy who had been struggling shooting the rock, a guy who just needed that game to erupt and simply just go off and have a monster game since he hadn't had one of those in quite a while. Well, he got it, all right? Five assists, but he got 28 points for a team high, 5 of 13 from deep, 9 of 22 overall from the field. And he was making some deep threes, you know, the kind of shots that you expect a guy like Miles Powell to make. He hadn't been making those for quite a while, and on Saturday... Those shots were finally going down. And as that one high school football player said in that one viral news clip, I think I got my swagger back. I think Miles Powell was feeling that way, leaving Milwaukee on Saturday. Another guy that went off, how about Mamu? Career high, 26 points, just one rebound shy of a double-double. 10 of 13 from the field, perfect from distance, 3 for 3. No other Pirates scored in double figures, but they did get some balance. Romero Gill had seven points and six rebounds, and also, shockingly, only blocked one shot. <laughs> Miles Kale knocked down a big three in the first half. Quincy McKnight, despite only having five points, he dished out eight assists. And something worth noting, didn't turn it over at all. And then coming off the bench... Finally getting some contributions as the bench combined for 19 points. Obiaga with four, Roden with nine, including three of four from downtown, and then Shavar Reynolds went two for two from the field. So considering the bench shot combined seven for nine from the field, three of four from distance for 16, excuse me, 19 points. Compared to Marquette's bench, who combined for 18. Overall, Seton Hall, a tremendous effort. They shot 50% from distance. Well over 50% for the game. They also held Marquette to just 43% from the field and 38.5% from distance. So, And Seton Hall leaves the Pfizer Forum and spoils Marcus Howard's final home game. 88-79, to 79, your final. And let me just say this. I've seen the videos, by the way, and for Marquette fans to call out other Marquette fans who had left early because they kind of knew the game was in hand, knowing that the Senior Day ceremony was going to be taking place after the game with the seniors speaking afterwards, Johnson, Howard, and Annam. Kind of Bush League. You know, and I've seen I've seen my fair share of disappointing results at the Prudential Center. But I'll tell you what, real fans will not leave after the game, before the game ends. 
especially on senior day. Now, I know it's disappointing to have that result, but for those guys, in most cases, to bust their ass for four years, maybe even more, for the fans to treat them like that, that's pathetic. So, Marquette fans, you can do better than that. You can do much better than that. And you know what? In terms of the energy being down in the building, you know who I credit with that? Miles Powell. The guy that Marquette fans at the start of the game were booing every single time he touched the ball. And that lit that fire under him. And he needed that fire to be lit under him, honestly. Because he wouldn't have been able to have the game that he had had it not been for Marquette fans voicing their displeasure with him and basically telling him exactly how they feel about him. So Seton Hall continues their role. They win 88-79. So out of the three parts, two down, one to go. I'll get to the third part later. Also Saturday, a night game at Hinkle. Butler hosting DePaul, and DePaul was going to be without arguably their best player in Paul Reed. A double-double machine, and DePaul sorely missed him. How? You could definitely tell because they only put up 42 points on the board for the whole game. 42! Granted, Butler's offense wasn't that great either, but they still won this game handily. 60-42 to your final and to make matters worse for DePaul, they didn't have a single guy in double figures. They had Moore and Angenda, who each finished with eight. Weems had seven. Coleman lands with six. Darius Hall, who started in place of Paul Reed, had five. Jalen Butts with four, and then just two each from Cameron and Lopez. And DePaul, one of 12 from distance. That's under 10%. And overall from the field, 33%, making only one out of every three attempts. Meanwhile, for Butler, not as great. Well, not much better. 39% from the field, but they did make eight three-pointers on 31 attempts. Just a hair over 25%. They also won the rebounding edge 38-34. to Not to mention, DePaul did not distribute the ball well at all. On 18 makes, just four assists. Compared to Butler, who made 23 field goal and uh, had 23 field goal makes, they 15 of them were assisted. Leading the way for the Bulldogs, each with 13, were Jordan Tucker and Sean McDermott. Those two combined to hit seven three pointers on 20 attempts, and again they combined for 26 points and also 11 rebounds between the two. McDermott with seven boards, Tucker with four. Kamar Baldwin was had a slow night. He only had 9 points, 4 of 13 shooting, missed all 5 attempts from distance, but he did grab 8 rebounds and had 5 assists in his penultimate home game at Butler. Bryce Enzi had a solid night, 8 points, 7 boards, 4 of 9 shooting. Aaron Thompson chipped in 8, and then Henry Badley off the bench had 5. So Butler takes care of business and bounced back with a defensively smothering performance over DePaul, 60-42 to your final. 
Meanwhile, a game where offense was not at a premium, Creighton and St. John's. Creighton, number 10 in the country. First time being in the top 10 in three years. Back to the days of Mo Watson and Justin Patton. Pretty sure the only remaining member of that team is injured, and that's Davion Mintz. So St. John's, back and forth early on. Josh Roberts also, he hurt his shoulder within a minute of him checking into the game. Keep in mind, this guy did not start. He was their starting five basically all season up until Sunday when Marcellus Erlington stepped in his place in the lineup, moving Julian Champagny to the five. Erlington didn't do great. He only had four points, two rebounds in just 10 minutes. But man, St. John's with a three-point barrage. 14 of 22 from distance. They also made six of their final eight attempts from three and shot 55% from the field, 33 out of 60. And leading the way, Greg Williams, who shot 7 of 10 from downtown, finished with a team high and a game high, 21 points. Rasheem Dunn chipped in 19 points and 10 assists for a double-double. LJ Figueroa had a double-double for himself, 16 points, 12 rebounds. Julian Champagny shot 50% from the field, 13 points, 5 rebounds. And then off the bench, David Carraher with a career-high 9 points at St. John's. And then Nick Rutherford chipped in 5 as well, including a long 2 off the bank to beat the buzzer at the end of the first half that made it 44-37. And then Creighton, it looked like they were going to impose their will in the second half. They got up. I think it was 54 to 53. And then St. John's just went on a tear from distance. Like I said, they made six of their final eight three-point attempts. Greg Williams was just nothing but nylon from distance. Seemed like he couldn't miss all game. Meanwhile, it seemed like Creighton was missing all game from three. Four of 27 from three. This is a team that shoots around... Close to 40% from downtown for the season. But it just was not their time on Sunday. And a cold shooting day, it was due for them. Honestly. As they only shot from the field 25 of 67. So inside the three-point arc, they were 21 of 40, which was over 50%. At 52.5%. But doesn't really help much as, again, 37.3% was their field goal percent for the game. St. John's, 55%. St. John's, their first top 10 win, well, first win over a top 10 team at Carneseca since they beat Bernard King in Tennessee back in 1975. So St. John's gets back over 500 with a huge upset over Creighton. Uh, notable stats for Creighton, team high for the Jays was Damian Jefferson. He was 8 of 9 from the field, 8 rebounds, 20 points. Tyshawn Alexander had 19 points, 4 rebounds, 6 of 16 shooting, just 2 of 8 from 3. Marcus Zigorowski and Mitch Ballack both struggled just a combined 2 for 13 from distance. 
and just eight points between them. Also, two of 20 from the field. Christian Bishop chipped in 12 points, six rebounds, and five assists. So, not a bad game from the sophomore from Lee Summit, Missouri. Denzel Mahoney struggled, eight points, three of eight shooting. Kelvin Jones with four points and six rebounds off the bench. And then the other game Sunday, Xavier and Georgetown, a game that Xavier kind of needed in their back pocket just to be safe. Meanwhile, Georgetown, a game they absolutely had to have if they wanted to save any and all hope for making the NCAA tournament. And Xavier put on a defensive clinic in the first half as they led 28-22 to at halftime. But offenses both came alive in the second half, especially with Georgetown. Again, still dealing without Yurt 7 and McClung. And they made this a game. They really did. Funny thing is, Xavier actually played a shorter rotation with more pieces compared to Georgetown, who only had five scholarship players, but still played three walk-ons off the bench. And all three of them played pretty important roles in their own regard. They chipped in eight points off the bench, which was actually higher than Xavier's bench total, which was seven, all of which came from Kiki Tandy. Seven points for him, two of five from distance. But Najee Marshall came to play in this game. Another double-double for him, 20 points, 10 rebounds, including the game-winning three-pointer with right around four and a half seconds remaining. And Georgetown made some big plays as well. They knocked down some big threes. Javon Blair stepped up with 18 points, 4 of 11 from distance, 5 of 15 from the field. Jamarco Pickett had 12 points and 4 rebounds, knocked down a trio of three-pointers. Terrell Allen only had 7. Kudus Wahab with 7, 3 of 4 shooting for him to go along with 5 rebounds. And then Jagan Mosley with 11 points and a team-high and I believe a game high also, seven assists. And how about Najee Marshall? He also had five assists to go along with those 20 points and 10 rebounds. Tyreek Jones back to himself as he dominated the glass again. 18 points, 13 rebounds, 8 of 14 shooting. No other Musketeer in double figures, though. Paul Scruggs chipped an eight but fouled out. Jason Carter with seven. Fremantle with six. And then, like I said, Kiki Tandy with seven. A really dramatic game that Xavier just happened to close out better in those classic royal blue 1990s throwback road unis. And again, Najee Marshall with the game-winning three-pointer with time winding down to ice this one as Xavier wins 66-63 to to get themselves back to 500 in conference six, uh, at 8-8, eight and eight, while Georgetown, they fall to 5-11 in conference and 15-14 overall, so there went any and all hope of them uh, making it to the NCAA tournament as an at-large. So basically, it's either you win the biggest tournament now or you're out if you're Georgetown. Unfortunately, after being on the right side of the bubble thanks to some big wins earlier this year, notably winning at Butler, winning at home against Creighton, so unfortunately, they've played themselves out of that position now. I mean, this is a team that was 5-7 and seven in conference. 
after they had gone on the road and beaten Butler without year seven in McClung. And since then, they have lost each of their last four games, including a pretty crushing loss at DePaul the weekend before. So Georgetown's NCAA tournament hopes all but crushed to smithereens thanks to a heartbreaking loss at the hands of the X-Men on Sunday. So with those results, that means DePaul has officially locked themselves into the number 10 seed because of St. John's winning. And even if DePaul somehow goes 2-0 this week, while St. John's goes 0-2, St. John's, because they swept DePaul, will still own the tiebreaker if they do finish tied for ninth, meaning DePaul would still be the number 10 seed no matter what. Meaning also, because Georgetown is now three games behind a three-way tie for fifth at 8-8, eight and eight, that means they can finish no higher than the eighth position that they're in right now. And St. John's, they can do no better than eighth in the Big East. So that basically means for the third time now in the last four years, like I mentioned on Twitter, It'll be St. John's versus Georgetown in the very first game of the Big East tournament in that 9-8 first-round matchup on the opening night of the Big East tournament. And we all know DePaul will be locked into the 10-7 game at the number 10 spot. They will have the number 10 seed in the Big East tournament now for the fourth year in a row. And since realignment... This will be the fifth time they will be the 10th seed in seven years of this realigned Big East. So, other seeding scenarios, nothing completely set in stone yet other than Georgetown St. John's being that 9-8 game and DePaul being locked into the 10th spot. Here's where we stand as we go into the final week of the regular season. Seton Hall with a two-game cushion in first at 13-3. Creighton and Villanova tied for second at 11-5. Providence just a game behind those two teams in fourth at 10-6. And, and then a three-way tie between Marquette, Butler, and Xavier each at 8-8. Eight eight. With that tiebreaker, if that's how the standings would look if the season ended right now, Marquette would get the five seed based on a three and one head to head record against those teams. Butler would be two and one against those teams, while Xavier would be in that seven spot thanks to an 0 and three record against Marquette and Butler. As for Creighton and Villanova being tied with each other, Creighton's win over Seton Hall would give them the edge if, in that tiebreaker if the season were to end right now. So it'll be Creighton at two, Villanova at three, Providence at four. So here are the ceilings and basements in terms of Big East tournament seeding as we enter the final week of the regular season. Seton Hall automatically clinches a share of the Big East regular season title, no matter what. The worst they can do is be tied for first. However, the worst 
result that could happen is them falling all the way down to the third seed if they go 0-2 this week as they face Villanova in Creighton. They got Nova at home, and then they go to Omaha to face the Blue Jays. But again, Seton Hall, the ceiling is still the number one spot, and all they have to do is win one more game with the most likely result coming Wednesday when they host Villanova on Miles Powell's senior night. And I'll get into more on that uh, later on in the show. I got a special icebreaker, not just on Miles Powell, but on Marcus Howard as his senior day happened over the weekend. So I, I got a lot to discuss about those two guys and how important those two are in the history of the Big East and in their own personal histories also. Meanwhile, for Creighton, for Creighton and Villanova, they could still somehow, some way, each get the one seed in the Big East tournament with some tiebreaker help. But the worst they can go from here is fourth for both of them. That's the worst they can be. So if you're Villanova or Creighton, if you're a fan of either of those teams, the good news is the worst you can do is fourth. That's the worst possible case. Meanwhile, for Providence to think that Back in late December when they were 7-6 and six in, out of conference going into Big East play. I thought you would have been crazy if you could tell me that Providence had a shot to possibly be the second seed in the Big East tournament. Well, that possibility is still in play and that's the ceiling right now for the Friars is that number two spot. However, worst case scenario... And if you're Providence, you got to be thinking you're lucky stars because of tiebreakers and everything... Their worst-case scenario is that they would be the five seed. And that's not too bad at all. I think it's pretty damn good if you're Providence, considering where you were about two months ago. Meanwhile, for that three-way tiebreaker between Marquette, Butler, and Xavier, the best that Marquette and Butler can do is fifth. Because both of those teams were swept by Seton Hall in the regular season. That's going to come back to bite them. Not to mention if Marquette were to finish tied with Providence, they would lose that tiebreaker because Providence swept Marquette in the regular season. And for Marquette and Butler, their worst case scenarios are that they could each finish 7th and have to play on that first night against DePaul. That possibility is still in play. Meanwhile, for Xavier, and keep in mind Xavier beat Providence just a few weeks ago, and they'll play him on Wednesday at the dunk. If Xavier finishes tied with Providence and nobody else for 4th, because Xavier... And what they need to do in order for that to happen is they need to go 2-0 this week while Providence somehow loses both of their home games to Xavier as well as to Paul on Saturday. So Xavier, because they would have that sweep over Providence in that tiebreaker, that would give the Friars, that would, get, that would give Xavier, excuse me, the edge. And Xavier, right now their ceiling is fourth. 
And right now they're in the seventh spot if the season were to end today. And that's the lowest they can go is seventh. So you got a lot at stake if you're these teams in the middle. Because if you're Marquette, Butler, or Xavier, I think the last thing you want to do is be the odd man out between those teams and have to play on the first night of the Big East tournament. Meaning, you're going to have to do something that is really hard to do, and that's winning four games in four nights. It's certainly not an impossible, to, impossible task, but it certainly is improbable. As just something to keep in mind, in this realigned Big East, only two teams have been able to reach the semifinal round from one of those first round games on Wednesday night. The first of which was Seton Hall in 2014. They were the 8th seed. They beat Butler the ninth seed in the first round and then upset top seeded Villanova in the quarterfinals before falling in the semis to the eventual Big East tournament champion that year, the number 4 seed from Providence. The only other one happened in 2017. And that was 7th seeded Xavier who beat 10th seeded DePaul in the first round then upset 2nd seeded Butler in the quarterfinals before losing a heartbreaker to six-seeded Creighton in the semifinal round on Friday of that weekend. And kind of a coincidence that this is now, you know, you had three years between Seton Hall in 2014 and Xavier in 2017, and now here we are three years later in 2020. Hmm. I wonder if we might see another scenario where a 7-8 seed, hell, even a 9 or 10 seed, can make a run where they could make it to the semifinals. Or maybe even the championship, since we haven't seen that yet. It hasn't been done, but this might be the year, considering how crazy this college basketball season has been, this might be the year where we might see one of those bottom four teams somehow making a run to the Big East semis, or maybe even the championship game. We'll see in about a week from now. We'll see. But as for now, got a lot of basketball to be played. And basically, if you want to be technical, only three spots have been locked in, in the Big East tournament. But really, only one spot's been locked up, so... Still a lot more to be played for. And those seven spots, the top seven spots are still yet to be determined. And we are going to find out this week where everyone will stand when they all come together in the city that never sleeps, New York City, inside the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden, for the best conference tournament in America, baby. The Big East Tournament next week. I couldn't be more excited, but hey, we still got one more week of basketball. So enjoy it while you can. I've got my predictions for this midweek slate with all 10 teams in action. Five games on the dock, including a huge four-game slate on Wednesday. Only one coming up on Tuesday. 
I've got my predictions and analysis for all of that coming up next here on the Igloo. I know this is a lengthy segment, so stick with me. Don't go anywhere. Coming up next, again, predictions for this midweek slate. Can Seton Hall clinch the Big East regular season title on their home court? Or will Villanova play spoiler? Can Xavier inch closer to not having to play on that first night of the Big East tournament next Wednesday? Can Marquette beat DePaul after nearly blowing it four weeks ago? Or can DePaul play spoiler and find a way to win one more game in their home finale in Chicago? Can St. John's and Georgetown, two teams that have been struggling all year long, can they go on the road and take down Butler and Creighton respectively? I've got my predictions for all of that coming up next here on the Igloo, so don't go anywhere. All right, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about this week's games, your final midweek slate of the season, and what I've got predicted for it. Let's start with Marquette versus DePaul in Chicago. Now, this is an interesting ball game because back on February 1st, DePaul nearly beat Marquette in Milwaukee, and I'm pretty sure that was the game. I think Mar Marcus Howard, that was his first game wearing a face mask after he got hit hard in the face at Xavier the game before. And Marquette barely won that one, 76-72, but DePaul had a, good, had a lead for most of that game before Marquette pulled away and won it. Now it's in Chicago, and DePaul, if they, if they don't have Paul Reed, they don't stand a chance in this game. And I think for Marcus Howard, considering you just lost in your final home game, that's got to light a fire under you because now you've got to play at DePaul and at St. John's to end the regular season. Two games that are definitely not going to be that easy. On paper they might be, but they're not gonna be that e they're not gonna be that easy, I promise you. DePaul's a fighting team. They might not have a lot to play for, but they're still gonna play you hard no matter what, because nothing could make them happier than to stifle your tournament chances or ruin your seating. By handing you a bad loss. But for Marquette, considering it's a short trip to Chicago from Milwaukee, I don't think they're going to want to make that short trip back with another L next to their name, considering now they have lost three of their last four games. Or four of their last five. Yeah, they've lost four of their last five games in conference. Considering this team is at 7-4 after trouncing Butler in Milwaukee just a few weeks ago. Their only win since then was last week when they crushed Georgetown at home. Now you got to go to Chicago. And if you're Wojo and company, you got to take care of business. All right? 
And I think Marquette's going to be hell-bent on doing that. And that's why I got the Golden Eagles going into Chicago and winning pretty handily. I'd say it's a double-digit win, in my opinion. And then Wednesday. I've got some interesting picks for this one. Starting with first game on FS1, Xavier and Providence. A Providence team that is just on fire lately. In the month of February, they beat five ranked teams. Five! They won at a ranked Butler team on February 1st. They beat ranked Creighton at home right after that on February 5th. And then after that, they beat number 10 Seton Hall on February 15th. They beat number 19 Marquette at home on February 22nd. And then at number 12 Villanova on February the 29th. And shockingly, want to know what's kind of nuts about this? Providence's only losses in the month of February both came against unranked teams and teams that are below them in the Big E standings. One of them was St. John's, which was an embarrassing one considering St. John's had just lost Mustafa Heron for the season, their leading scorer and their senior leader. And they played horribly in that one. They, they lost 80-69. to 69. Their other loss... I guess the guys they're going up against on Wednesday at the dunk, Xavier. That was a 64-57 defeat in a Saturday night game at the Cintas Center on February 8th. I was on the fence about this one. I really was because Providence obviously playing really well. Xavier's also playing really well. I mean, after a 2-6 and six start in Big East play, since then they've rattled off six of their last eight winning Winning six of their last day, I should say. Their only losses, a five-point loss at Butler. And a nine-point loss at home against Villanova. They've won the games that they've needed to win. While also, along the way... They did also, I should say... Picked up a huge road win. I mean, I, it might not mean a lot in the grand scheme of things, but winning at St. John's after being down seven with not too much time remaining on the clock, that did so much for this team. Even, even though they lost to Villanova at home, they still responded the way that they needed to, beating DePaul at home, taking care of business, and then winning a tight one at Georgetown. A game they almost let slip away from them. But they still managed to find a way to get it done through... Their true star, Najee Marshall. And they're going to need him to step up big again in this game against Providence. And the, the thing that Xavier did really well in the last meeting, I mean, obviously, defensively, they have been on another level uh, ever since they lost that double overtime game at home against Marquette well over a month ago. But going back to that last meeting on February 8th, uh, 64 to 58, I misspoke. The thing that struck me the most was that they really defended the three well, holding the Friars to just four of 23 from distance. They didn't shoot much better themselves at five of 19, 
But the fact that they defended the three really well. And 42% for the field, not, it's not bad. I mean, Providence, not to mention Xavier is also smart. Only letting Providence shoot nine free throws for the entire game. They also drew a lot of fouls as well. Providence committed 18 fouls. Xavier only committed 13 for the entire game. And I don't know if that has anything to do with officiating or discipline. But for me, I think it's more discipline. And Xavier played disciplined basketball in this game. And if you want to win at the dunk, you're going to have to play another disciplined game. And they've been playing disciplined basketball for the past month. And I think that trend is going to continue. And I got Xavier shockingly going into the dunk and upsetting Providence to finish off the season sweep of the Friars for the first time since 2016. Seven Eastern CBS Sports Network. St. John's at Butler. Butler close to cracking the top 25 again after taking care of business against DePaul on Saturday. And this is going to be an emotional night at Hinkle with Kamar Baldwin. Now, I know Kamar Baldwin doesn't have the star power of Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. And I'm sorry if I offend any Butler fans for saying that. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. Just... He's a tremendous guard, a tremendous player all around. But unfortunately, I mean, he's in the same conference as two guys who are probably going to be first-team All-Americans this year. Not gonna, That doesn't mean that Baldwin's not going to be a first-team All-Big East guy. He's probably going to be. And he's arguably one of the greatest Butler Bulldogs of all time. And... That senior night at Hinkle Fieldhouse is going to be emotional, man. I, I can tell you. But, I mean, obviously that's not the most anticipated senior night that's going to be going down on Wednesday, unfortunately. Because you have a guy named Miles Powell who's got his senior night against Villanova with a chance to clinch the Big East regular season title. Something that hasn't been done in 27 years. Now, Kamar Baldwin's been a tremendous player for this Butler program, but I will say this, just the level of success just hasn't translated, I guess. Because entering this year, Butler in Big East play since Kamar Baldwin's arrival, just 28 and 26. And if you want to include this year, they're 36 and 34. But where he's performed his best has been at Hinkle Fieldhouse, and his heroics have been absolutely incredible over the last four years. His freshman year, when he beat Northwestern with a buzzer beater, hitting a three at the buzzer to beat Villanova a month ago. I mean, this is a special, special guy. And I'm not discounting how special he is. I'm just saying that in terms of how special he is, it's just Marcus Howard and Miles Powell have done more in terms of elevating the status of their respective programs with Marquette and Seton Hall. But Kamar Baldwin's due for one more great performance at Hinkle Fieldhouse before he bids farewell. And that's going to come Wednesday night against St. John's, and they're going to take care of business against the Johnnies 
get back over 500 biggies play. February has been a very tough month for the Bulldogs. Make no bones about it. You know, in the month of February, they were 3-5. and five. Their only wins at home against Villanova on February 5th. Last weekend at home against DePaul. And the other win. Why am I why am I blanking on this? Oh my goodness gracious, what is wrong with me? Um Oh, and they also beat Xavier at home back on February the twelfth. So Butler, obviously, they struggled on the road. They got one more road game at Xavier on Saturday. But you want to have momentum going into that one. You got to take care of business against St. John's on your home court. And Butler, they haven't lost to St. John's at Hinkle Fieldhouse since their first season in the Big East back in 2014. And that home win streak against the Giants is going to continue. That's going to be now six in a row as I got the Bulldogs taking care of St. John's rather lightly. 8 o'clock Eastern on Fox Sports Regional Networks. Check your local listings for Georgetown at number 14, number 11 Creighton, excuse me. I had number 14 for Villanova in my head before that. So Creighton, despite losing by 20 at St. John's on Sunday, because of a bunch of other ranked teams losing, they only drop one spot. They drop from 10 to 11. And now you welcome a shorthanded Georgetown team. Again, McClung and Yurt Sevens is... Your seven statuses are still up in the air and still unlikely. And if you're Creighton, you got to take care of business. Because at this point, this is going to be a bad loss if you lose to this Georgetown team. I know Georgetown's got some good wins, but losing to that team without McClung in your seven is not good. Period. And that's why I think Creighton's going to win. I think they're going to handle their business easily. I think they're going to come into this game angry. Considering that St. John's had just handed their ass to them on a silver platter. I think they're going to dish out a similar punishment to Georgetown. They're going to take out that anger and frustration on the Hoyas. I mean, this might turn into a bloodbath in, a home, in Omaha, man. I hate to say it, but I think that's what's going to happen now. And then finally, the main event. The game of the year in the Big East. I said in September, and it still rings true in March. Villanova, Seton Hall, basically for the Big East regular season championship, at least from Seton Hall's perspective, at the Rock in Newark. The Madhouse on Mulberry, baby. This is the game everyone's been waiting for, folks. Preseason top two teams in the Big East, and that's that might be how it might shake out when it's all said and done at the end of this week. And this is Miles Powell's final game at the Rock. His curtain call in front of the Bluebeard Army and all of Pirate Nation against a Villanova team that they finally exercised their demons against in Philly, and now they have a chance to sweep them in the regular season 
and win their first Big East regular season title outright since 1993. They clinched their first overall title since 93. But they're, they're, you know and I know and everybody knows now that they're trying to win it outright on their home court so they don't have to do it out in Omaha on Saturday against Creighton, a team that they lost to on their home court back on February 12th. You want to take care of that now and just breathe easy and play relaxed basketball in Omaha on Saturday to end the regular season, knowing that you have that number one seed locked up. Now, if you're Seton Hall, you got to go to what worked last time in Philadelphia. Obviously, Miles Powell had a great game on the road, but Mamu started to come into his own in that game. He had a monster game. And he's coming off a monster game this past Saturday against Marquette in Milwaukee. Now you're going to be back on your home court in front of potentially a completely sold-out Prudential Center, which for basketball seats right around 18,000. The attendance record, I was there for that. It was a little over 16,700 back in 2017 against Villanova, who at the time were the defending national champions, you know, led by Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins and a guest, of, former guest of mine, Daryl Reynolds, who actually didn't even play in that game because he was hurt. Those were their three senior leaders at the time. And a budding star by the name of Jalen Brunson, who eventually would win National Player of the Year's year honors the following year and Villanova went out there and kicked the crap out of Seton Hall 92 to 70 that day and if Seton Hall is going to break that attendance record again I guarantee you Miles Powell Romero Gill Quincy McKnight I guarantee you they are not going to want to leave without a W and a Big East regular season title that they could hold on to only for themselves. And if you're Villanova, just the way your offense has been struggling, you got to figure it out. Jay Wright's got to figure it out. Maybe it was just one of those games where, on Saturday, where the ball just wasn't going in. Not to mention, free throws weren't going in either because they started two for nine. Finished 9 for 18, which is 50%, which is still god-awful. But Villanova coming off that disappointing loss, they got to come out with that killer instinct after falling to number 14 in the country after that loss. Not to mention, Seton Hall's all the way up to number 8 now. They jumped from 13 to 8 after an impressive win at Marquette. And you know what? For a historic night as... Arguably the greatest Seton Hall Pirates to ever play in that program. You gotta believe at this point that he is going to want to turn out his masterpiece. It was essentially, it's like Beethoven when he came out with his ninth and final symphony. He wanted it to be exquisite. He wanted it to be perfect, and it was. Miles Powell's going to want his final home game to be exactly like that, a virtuoso performance. 
And I think he's going to deliver. In terms of how many points he's going to score, I don't know. But I'll tell you what. He had 28 on Saturday against Marquette. And you know what? He's going to eclipse that on Wednesday. And you know what? I got him going for 34. 34 on 3-4. And clinching the Big East regular season title with a well-needed victory. And give this Seton Hall fan base something bigger to celebrate before the Big East tournament. Obviously, the Seton Hall team won a Big East championship four years ago. But that was the tournament championship. Which was ironically their first since 93 at the time as well. But now they got the chance to win their first Big East regular season title. Since that magical 93 season. And you know what? They're going to get it done. It's going to be a tight one. But Seton Hall is going to win. And I got them winning by four. Only four. But it's going to be enough to get the job done and secure the Pirates' first Big East regular season championship, like I said, outright since 1993. And speaking of senior night, that leads into this episode's icebreaker. And I obviously touched on Miles Powell's senior night. But let me talk about Marcus Howard, too. These two guys will be linked together in history for the rest of time. I think it's inevitable at this point because they came in together in the same year. They became superstars at the same time in the Big East and nationally as well. And because of their tight relationship that they have off the court as well and the respect they have for each other, it's... It's simply inevitable that Marcus Howard and Miles Powell will be linked together forever. And as Big East fans, you know what? I think we all need to come together and realize how great we have it right now with these two guys. Because a month from now, we won't be watching them suit up for their colleges anymore. They'll move on and graduate and probably move on to professional basketball, in all likelihood the NBA. Because at least one of them is going to get drafted. I don't see neither of them getting getting selected. In reality, I think both of them are going to get drafted. And as Big East fans, you, you all got to hope that they represent their alma maters and represent the conference tremendously in the pros as they have during their time in college both on and off the court. They've represented their schools well. They've represented the conference well. They've represented the game of college basketball so well. And you know what? I just hope that none of us will take what those two guys bring to the table for granted. Because who knows? We we might not see... Star players like that for quite a long time. I'm not saying they're quite once in a generation in this league, but they are definitely transcendental because of 
how incredibly gifted they are at scoring the basketball and how and how they do it as well it's just tremendous and it's the way that they score and at the rate at which they score is something we might not see again for quite a long time sure we might have guys who can certainly stuff the point sheet the point column on the stat sheet there's absolutely no denying that but in terms of how gifted these two guys are and how well they represent their schools the big east and college basketball as a whole i really don't think that we'll see anything like that for quite a long time so big east fans everywhere Enjoy these guys while you can because the NCAA tournament's coming up. And that is going to be where their college careers end. Could one of them possibly win the whole thing? Possibly. But in reality, you know, the last time we're going to see these guys is probably being checked out of an NCAA tournament game sitting on the bench and probably crying their eyes out. Which a lot of their fans will also be doing the same when that happens, honestly. Hell, I'll even be crying when Miles Powell is honored before the game on Wednesday against Villanova for his senior night. Because of the impact he has left on Seton Hall's program. And I guarantee you so many Marquette fans were also in tears to see Marcus Howard play his final home game because of the impact he's left on Marquette. Because both of them have been such great representatives of their universities and their programs. So, Big East fans, enjoy these two guys while you can and don't take them for granted because we only have so much of them left to witness. So, not to be corny or anything, if you're a Marquette or Seton Hall fan, or even a Butler fan, you know, that has come to admire and love Kamar Baldwin. Um, obviously, like I said before, uh, Kamar Baldwin hasn't had the same kind of impact on the programs, uh, on the program that Mar- Marcus Howard and Miles Powell have had on theirs, respectively. But, you know, don't cry because... Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. And be grateful for the greatness that Marcus Howard and Miles Powell and even Kamar Baldwin and even moving further down the line with guys like Tyshawn Alexander and Charlie Moore, Paul Reed, Mac McClung even if he decides to stay all four years. I mean... Even at Providence, guys like Alpha Diallo and Luan Pipkins for this year. Don't take these guys for granted. Because they're going to be moving on soon. And we're all going to miss everything that they've brought to the table over the last four years. And, you know, it goes without saying, but, you know... A lot of people don't know what's good for them or what's great to them 
until it's gone. So I think all of us as basketball fans and Big East fans, we all just need to relish in the greatness of Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. Because at the end of the day, it's not a given that we're going to see two guys that came in the same year and became great at the exact same time ever again. Not to mention Marcus Howard. He might have an unbreakable record now as the Big East all-time leading scorer. And as Marquette's all-time leading scorer. And if Seton Hall can somehow make a run deep into March, Miles Powell's got a chance to break their all-time scoring record set by Terry DeHare, who was Seton Hall's senior star the last time they won the Big East regular season championship, ironically, back in 1993. So, I'll just leave you with this before I sign off. Like I said before, just relish and appreciate the greatness that these two guys have to offer. Because we're not going to get much more of that this year. Their time's running out. So as Big East fans, we all need to come together and just be grateful and appreciative for what these two guys have done for the last four years, elevating the status of their universities, the program, the Big East, and college basketball in general. And when it's all said and done, when their time is up, I think we all need to make a concerted effort and genuinely thank them for pouring their heart and soul into this sport, into this league, and into the teams they've played for for the last four years. That's civil. I know I will be. Will you? So that wraps it up for this episode of the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. I got my final regular season episode coming out later this week. Not sure if I'm going to do it Thursday or Friday. I'll let you know. And then after the regular season ends, I'm going to have an episode every single day. From March 8th all the way, most likely, for the next two weeks. So be on the lookout for that. Because with the action ramping up, I got to keep ramping up the content too. Because there's a lot to talk about with the Big East Tournament coming up. As well as the NCAA Tournament. March is here, folks. So strap in and get ready for the madness that's coming. Because it's inevitable. And you better be ready for it. So until next time, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you at the end of this week for the regular season finale.